Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. Today, we have Christian Petrino. Did I get it right? Petronio, close Petronio. enough. Petronio, all right. <laughs> One of the things I love about you know being human is you can be defeated by mistakes, so you can learn from them, and uh, it's all about uh, your flexibility and resiliency. And uh, so I modeled. I didn't cave in when I got it wrong. And thank you for correcting me. A hundred percent accurate in that statement for sure. I would say. You know, it's something I tell my kids, well, more so my son, my daughter's not quite old enough to start understanding it, but saying, you don't, you know, you either win or you learn. You, you really have to take that mindset in life. Otherwise you will lose. It's, it's a guarantee. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that uh, too few people do is do an autopsy on defeats. And even a smaller group of people actually do an autopsy on wins. And I think one of the keys to being successful in any area, business, personal life, is taking a look at the wins and the losses. What did I learn from this? Yeah. What can I do better? And uh, did everybody involved win? Yeah. How quickly can you integrate what, you know, the lessons both on, you know, what worked well and where you may have had a misstep, right? How how quickly can you integrate that and move forward? You know, I was always fascinated as a kid having played lots of sports, including football. You hear it every day, and it's a cliche. You tune into an NFL game on a Sunday, and uh, a defensive back gets beaten by a wide receiver for a big play or a touchdown. Mm. And it's about, you know, forget or a goalie in soccer, forgetting that play and then moving on. And you can see those that have that little psychological hiccup where they're still thinking about that play or whatever, and they get beat again. And then it's just the domino effect of it spirals. Yeah. And I think like much to your point, you know, I think people get we're too self-conscious. How does somebody else perceive us or look at us if we do have a misstep and you get a little bit tight? And the more you you focus on that, you're less likely to focus on just moving on, move to the next step. OK, I learned that. Great. I'm not going to be over focused on being embarrassed or feeling like I'm whatever and making some kind of judgment. It's just move on and take care of the job at hand. Absolutely. And some of the coaches that are uh more advanced they also kind of beat it into their players you do yeah. a great play forget about that play that play does not exist do not get caught up in your own fame it's like yeah be present for the very next one and act uh, like you've been here yeah absolutely yeah and it's like because sometimes it's like hey i'm pretty awesome and then <laughs> you get kind of sure. cocky and that's what you lose so yeah. christian uh you're a business broker in the hospitality space and of course, you know, one of the things you hear, uh, at least I've heard many times, it's like, hey, people got to eat. You have a restaurant, your bar, you're not going <laughs> to fail. And that is not true. People do have to eat, but not at your place. So what makes this, let's talk about bars for now, because I could use a drink right now. What makes a successful bar, do you think? Uh, before I get into that, I just want to be for the sake of clarity and uh, regulation. So I personally am not a broker. I do work for a brokerage. 
I'm a sales representative, so I'm, I'm not licensed as a broker per se, uh, but obviously work with one with what we do. In terms of what makes, are we talking specifically about a bar or let's talk about a Let's talk about a bar because, you know, it seems like, you know, alcohol is where the money is. It should work. And some yeah. places are phenomenally successful and they don't have to be fancy. It's just like an average local place. And it's just some magic there that works. And yeah. then other places that spend a lot of money and it's just looks beautiful, but it's cold. So just uh, kind of your experience. Tell well, me about I mean, some successful bars. When you say the word magic, I think what you hit, you hit on exactly sort of what I refer to often as sort of that weird alchemy that takes place uh, to, to make something special. Um, and it's hard sometimes to really put a finger on it. You know it when you've walked in and you find a great bar. I'm sure you've experienced that. And it is a combination of all those things sort of coming together, I guess, to the right degrees and in the right way. And, you you know, part of it is the space itself, the location, the neighborhood, the feeling you're already getting before you get there, right? That's already kind of building up and creating a bit of context to that experience. Then the room itself, whether it's by nature, it could be an old sort of part of a, an older building, which has a lot of character. It could be that the design work was such that it, it imbues that. Then, of course, it's the service. It's the din of the room. It's what kind of other people are, is it attracting? And then, I mean, having come from the world of hospitality myself before doing this, and that's why I practice what I do, having been in hospitality uh, for over 20 years, a big part is the service side is just the kind of people, you know, which is everyone's biggest struggle now, staff, but the kind of people you have executing this vision and then adding to it. It's that, you know, again, it's sort of that nuanced thing where you create as an owner, maybe at the place owner slash manager, whatever the case may be, you're kind of putting things in place. You know where the light needs to be at, at certain hours. Maybe that changes. The kind of music also sort of goes with the flow of the evening. So the more you can sort of key into that, the better you're going to do. It seems like anyone that's a bit more, not to get too hairy fairy out there, but the more in touch with with yourself that you are and what you want and how to execute that, it's going to come out. The more prefab and, and, and I don't know, overthought kind of concept will come off as Artificial. a little bit authentic, right? Yeah. So it's interesting you said that, you know, the more in touch you are with, and I thought you were going to say uh, your customers, but I'm glad you said with yourself, because I think that's where the magic is, is when you are authentic, there's an attractiveness about that, no matter how gorgeous you look or not but yeah. it creates kind of like a safe space when the person who they're pretending to be and who they actually are is the same thing in italy there's something you know people go to italy and they talk about the fashion how well everybody's dressed and old and young and alike and there's a term for it, it's called sprezzatura sprezzatura just has i i'm probably going to get an official definition wrong it's some variation of just the natural ability to carry what you're wearing like People don't yeah. overthink necessarily what they're wearing. They kind of understand, and it, it's kind of passed on in a way. People know what materials to wear, what time of year, how to layer. It's kind of passed on and taught to you, but it's such a natural, effortless thing. And I think that comes from a knowledge and acceptance of sort of who you are at that moment. And like you said, yeah, that that comes out. You know, we didn't even speak to it, but obviously quality of, of you know, ingredients and quality of what you're serving. But you can see oftentimes that almost falls much further down the list of things than when you're sitting there working on a business plan and saying, what am I going to do? Make sure I have this and that. And then as is often the case, people go somewhere. They remember who they with, who they were with, what joke was said or oh, what yeah. game they're watching or whatever else before they remember what beer they had or what dish they had. You know, yeah. it's really more about 
what was going on that night, that evening, that experience. Just going back to your comment about, you know, the Italians, how they, you know, feel comfortable what they're wearing. I was watching this uh, TV show called Queen of the South. Have you ever seen it? No. So this is like drug queen who's like, you know, mm. just powerful, gets people killed half the time. And she's got this uh, person she's mentoring. And she says to the mentee, it's like, are you going to let that dress wear you? Or are you going to wear that dress? Because it was like a super fancy dress and she felt intimidated. And so, yeah, if you can be who you are and you've got this place for people to come, talk to me about staff. How do you train your staff? Because there's probably places where the attitude of the staff doesn't mean they're impolite, but the vibe you get from the owner and the vibe you get from the staff are two different things that it kind of breaks the spell. So how do you advise your clients to you know, create that seamless experience where the staff is trained so well that it's the spirit of what's going on? No alcohol joke there, by the way. Right. <laughs> I mean, we don't get we don't get overly involved in the operational. That that being said, because I do come from that side, and you know, I've had my own place as well. And I always like to say I've done every part of the business, and um, from back of house to front of house, largely front of house. But you know, it's the odd time someone might ask me. My my philosophy and always has been is creating a culture now. Part of that is going to be the operational sort of granular stuff. So creating SOPs, I think, is always very valuable. And it really is going to conform to, I mean, again, if we're just talking about bars, but even there, there's going to be a variation of how you want it to run. It's in large part could be directed by your vision. Um, A bar tends to be a generally looser kind of atmosphere. So, I mean, there it's, I think more, again, that granular side that comes to how do I keep things so we're not losing money? Things are kept clean and in a tidy fashion and, you know, scheduling and all that kind of stuff is taken care of. In terms of relating with the guests, I think it's really more from day one is, you know, whether it's a manager, the owner themselves or whoever, being able to communicate a clear vision and saying, hey, before we even go further, come in on a night or two nights and either hang out with us or come in as a guest, bring some friends, you know, we'll shoot you a free drink or whatever the case may be. Uh, or some food or what have you. We can't give free drinks and according to our, our liquor laws, but right. you know, you know, give you whatever, just to come in take a look and, and get a real feel for it. So you start to understand that it's not just the job that you're joining something that has hopefully something a little bit more meaningful to offer. Right. And usually you're going to find that if you're successful in building that culture, you're going to attract people who at least have strains of, let's say you have five or six columns that define what that culture is that at least a couple of them to all of them will be filled by that person. They have all of those quality quality nice. traits, right? And I've often said, if you're successful at that, what I think helps, and I can see, I, I know when I ran my own business, we had extremely low turnover in staffing and we had extremely happy customers who always, I'd get text messages from the few that had my number saying, I love your staff, your staff's amazing. And I think a big part of that, and we, and I rarely had to do much in terms of, um, external posts or anything like that, because they all came through friends of people who were already working there. And I think once you do that, it's fantastic because you kind of, even the odd person that doesn't fit, they weed themselves out. It's not yeah. like an active process where you have to go through that. The hopeful. I'm you glad know, you said that because very much it's like you create a a vibe and yeah. come in misaligned. They kind of feel it and they still opt out. But if yeah. it's not defined and it's nebulous, then it's like you can keep somebody there for longer. 
So Christian, let me ask you this. You could have a bar that's a, or a restaurant. Uh, so let's kind of blend them in for now. That's got a certain level of profitability. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the numbers strictly from that profitability, sometimes you know, that's an accurate number. Mm -hmm. But then you also have uh, a profitability and then you have this just really great culture. Mm -hmm. got another bar that's got uh, an okay culture and the same numbers. So does culture actually translate into more dollars? Because uh, sometimes they they may not be a big enough uh, financial payoff, but staff turnover, customer satisfaction, all that stuff uh, is really valuable. So how do you value uh, that culture when you're selling a bar or a business? Well, I mean, to be honest, it, I mean, COVID has really changed things. And even pre-COVID to a large to a much greater extent, most of what we happen to do happens as is structured as an asset sale as opposed to a share sale, which means whoever's incoming typically is just going to bring in their own concept. They're they're looking for like something like a slate. Yeah, they're they're really just looking for hopefully what's a competitive lease uh, in a good location with all the features, whether it's a patio and a, you know, a good liquor license and all the rest. Um, and the formality typically of those kinds of situations is uh, you're also having to terminate the existing staff and then potentially, you know, it can always be negotiated and the staff obviously needs to be a part of that and they can potentially be rehired. So sometimes you do see that and there's the odd time where there's considerable goodwill, uh, but those tend to trade in a slightly different way because uh, more often than not, people are getting out because it's not living up to their expectation. That's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons for sure. But going back to your point about looking at the difference between, you know, earnings versus creating the culture. I mean, a part of that is going to be what, you know, what you're looking for as an operator. And to an extent, if you have eyes on scalability, right? Because, you know, I've worked with groups who are phenomenal success and with a first place, like amazing success. And there was talk already about expansion. And I would go to them and say, that's great. I, I'll be honest, my biggest concern is how do you, when you've caught that lightning in a bottle, as it were, how do you recreate that? Or what part of that do you lean on in order to be scalable, knowing that you're probably going to lose a little bit of that initial magic? I mean, now you've got the ball rolling. So you have momentum, which does work to your favor. So now you're building a brand based on that momentum, but you're going to lack a little bit of what really, because people will move on things will change, hiring practices will change. So that's a very fine line. It's just, and I think that's operationally what the owner is looking for. What do you want out of your business? Yeah, I, I'm not sure why this uh, Comet Pizza is coming up uh, on my internal radar. Are you familiar with it by any chance? I haven't heard of that Comet Pizza. And so it was a pizza joint in Washington, D.C. And the conspiracy theorist said there's a pedophile ring in their basement. Oh, okay. And they now don't I, have a I basement. Know the name of it, but now I know yeah. what you're And okay. so what was kind of interesting, uh, what brings it up to this conversation is that their customers came to the uh, rescue of the pizzeria because they bring the kids there. And so it was just great culture. And then the customer stepped up and said, you're not going to lose your business. We're coming here. We're going to, you know, frequent this. And, uh, cause I've been to some places where it's just, uh, it's a great relationship between the customers and the staff and the owners. Mm -hmm. So yeah. no, I was just going to say, I mean, that makes a huge difference, but again, it's, it's a question of that scalability, right? It's just once again, it's just, it does present a bit of a, a difficulty in reading. Yeah. And if you went from, let's say, uh, 
Vancouver kind of place with that kind of vibe and that kind of staff, and you come to downtown Toronto, are the people that live in Toronto, have will they have the same West Coast vibe? And the answer is probably not. Well, you know what? It's funny you bring that particular example up because I have had this discussion a few times and the general feeling is, and I'm not the first to say it, I've worked with, because we also, along with the buy and sell business, we work with landlord clients. I mean, we do commercial building sales and other investment stuff on the commercial side, but this is what... You know, what would you call our bread and butter? Our everyday is, you know, the business. So we do leasing as well. So we work on the behalf of landlords or people looking to lease a space uh, for their for their hospitality uh, business. But in working with landlords and in speaking with other agents, the, the common thinking in 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 the Toronto market seems to be uh, that concepts coming from Montreal for some reason don't seem to resonate as well as concepts from Vancouver. Now okay. Montreal is three hours away. Vancouver is a six-hour flight. Yet somehow Vancouver seems to resonate a bit better and those concepts seem to enjoy better success in the Toronto market. And I'm still trying to identify exactly what it is. I can speculate, but it's I'm, I'm still not quite. Here's my speculation. Uh, I'm probably off the mark here. Here's my hypothesis. The sense I got when I go to Montreal is like everywhere else in North America, people say, what's the most important family and then friends and then work? But the mm. reality for most people is it's work, mm. it's family, and it's friends third. And I think in Montreal, they really put family, uh, you know, enjoy your life. And it's really that family first and then friends. And, oh, yeah, we have to work. Kind of, kind right. of it's a third. And I think maybe it's that vibe. I'm not even sure I picked it up correctly, but that's the sense I got. At least Montreal seems to have that, you know, live first and then, oh, yeah, we have to work too. Yeah. I, and I think that might be, I think, a part of it is just how they interpret how what how people will react in Toronto to it. Yeah. As they say in French, the joie de vivre, that maybe, you know, a bit more work focused in Toronto and Vancouver, like you're saying, as being that, you know, priority for sure. That 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 definitely could be one of the streams for sure. Brilliant. So uh, tell us about a deal that went off the rails and you saved. Uh, that's most of what we do. <laughs> 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 most of our day is putting out fires and, uh, turning things around. So, I mean, COVID obviously has presented some unique challenges. Uh, we've had, I I've worked with a few sellers. Thankfully, uh, the ones I'm going to be sort of referencing have all successfully now sold. Uh, and a few of them actually surprisingly pretty much close to, if not right at their asking, despite nice. having previously turned down offers. So one of the, and I had this conversation about half hour before I got on with you, with somebody who just received an offer saying, it's going to sound very counterintuitive, but what we often find, and I, I'm circling back to your, to your original question, so don't worry, um, is that your first offer is generally, I would say over 90% of the time, your best offer. It's a slightly different animal than home, you know, a home offer or something else in real estate because because it's such a niche market, the most right. eager are those that really want to jump on it. But oftentimes that our, our human nature and negotiation, especially depending on the culture you come from, is like, you know, don't jump at the first offer. Let's just see what's out there. And what a lot of people saw during COVID, because particularly in Canada, we went and in Ontario went through the up and down the roller coaster of the mandates, the closures where we open. It seems like we're open, no, we're closed and back and forth. So you get these kind of positive and negative emotions surrounding which direction you're going to go. And at times they've turned down offers, which were fantastic, clean offers, asking, close to asking, just thinking there's the next best or somehow made it overly complicated. And fortunately, like I said, you know, uh, 
you have to be, you have to stick with it. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm in any way unique this way, but I'm sure there are some realtors who will get frustrated with clients and take things personal and say, forget, I'm just not going to work with them or it's not going to go anywhere. They're making it too difficult. Maybe because I come from hospitality, I do this almost because I'm almost more fascinated with people. I, I right. firmly have the belief that the money will follow, you know, put in the work and the money will follow. And just because something doesn't work out, you can't just, you know, be like a child and start rolling around and crying. You need to, you know. You know what's a good feeder industry for real estate, especially the uh, residential side of things? Sorry? A good feeder industry for uh, residential real estate are restaurant workers, like waitresses, waiters, bartenders. Because if you find someone with good customer service and they know how to handle difficult clients, how to be gracious to great ones, if you can get them to come into real estate, uh, I've seen some really giants come out of that industry where they're you know, doing like 100 transactions uh, a year plus. And uh, so it's just something about that proving ground of being a waiter, waitress, bartender, that uh, gives you that human equation, uh, which is quite useful. Yeah, the emotional IQ, if you've paid attention and tried to learn, I mean, you can learn at every job, but that particular type of work, if you learn that, that emotional IQ is invaluable. And I think a part of it that I've always tried to tell people that I think is also an underrated aspect that if somebody is applying themselves to that work and care and do it with a level of care is there's a level of, because there's so much going on, of being able to constantly be uh, your priorities and reprioritizing and just kind of doing things on the fly, uh, but doing it to a certain level is is a huge part of that as well. Brilliant. Uh, Christian, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to put all your contact information below. So if you're looking to do something in the hospitality space in Vancouver, this is your guy. Toronto. Tor- you're in Toronto? We're in Toronto, but you know what? I am from Vancouver, so if anyone has any questions about Vancouver, Good. I'm so happy to help. On I'm that in as Toronto well. as well, so you know what do I know? I'm a pod- there. You go. Whereabouts in Toronto? Uh, so I live in Burlington, but I'm downtown most days. But I mean, even this week, I was downtown Toronto today. I'm in Pickering tomorrow, Guelph on Wednesday. So you never know. <laughs> Superb. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Umar. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 